Everybody longs for a king, for a leader that brings prosperity, stability, and security into life. We might even say a knight in shining armor. All of us have this spot in our heart for someone like that. And as we look at the Older Testament and we look at all of Scripture, the Older and Newer Testament, we're going to see individuals that are that shining knight in armor, right? Uh, yet they still let us down. And we look at 1 Samuel, we look at uh, 2 Samuel, and we see Saul, and we see King David, and even with King David, who was basically everything the nation of Israel ever longed for in a leader, and yet he still failed. And so it's pretty discouraging when you look at all these kings, and you look at the human spirit, the condition of humanity, and the way we react and respond to each other, even those of us who, uh, for the most part, are doing it pretty well, we still have this underbelly. And all of that, all of that points to the fact that we need a king, we need a lord, we need a faultless lord, a faultless king, and all of it points to the fact that Jesus Christ is that king. So as you walk and track through the scriptures, it just continues, especially in the Old Testament, building up to this idea that no matter how good we can do it, our goodness is never good enough. And that's not to make you feel super discouraged, but what it is made to do is to make you see, make me see that there is a future king, and we have a hope for that future king. And, you know, even though when we get into this, and those of us who have said yes to Christ and are, are trying to walk with God through Christ and uh, have the spirit a part of our lives, uh, those of us will come to times where uh, God lets us down, or at least it seems like God lets us down. And so even in looking for this future king someday, occasionally or often we find ourselves in a place where it seems that God is letting us down. And then it causes us to question that hope for the future king. Can he really kind of pull things together for, for me, for my life? Or is it always going to be uh, good times and a stumble than good times? Um, I can remember when I graduated from college, and uh, Cindy and I were married. We had uh, gotten married my, before my senior year of college, so I was doing the school thing, and she was teaching school at a private school, and uh, we were, you know, that was kind of our life, and it was all about getting school done. And then when uh, school finally uh, was done and I graduated, uh, I got a job working at a campground and resort. And uh, I really felt this was God's leading. Uh, my goal, I had gone to Bible college, my goal was to go into Christian camping. And I always uh, wondered why Christian camps, and this is going to maybe sound a little sarcastic, why, you know, they didn't pay taxes, they underpaid their staff, and yet they had tons of money. They, they always were running out of money, and if they needed more money, they would just ask. And in a campground that wasn't necessarily a Christian campground, kind of had to, like, make it on their own. At the end of the season, they couldn't say, this is a bad season, campers. Uh, could, you, could you send us some extra money? Everyone would have said, what? You know, they just wouldn't go for it. So I wanted to learn the, the business side behind that. 
and the strategy behind that. So we got this job, and this, this campground and resort, when it was full, would have about 1,200 people in it. And it was just a happening place. I was coming on as a, the program director and also a, a marketing person on the off-season. And so we were very excited. Uh, Cindy uh, resigned from her teaching position, and we moved up north of Poland Springs in Maine, up into no man's land, and started working at this, this campground and resort. And uh, it was hard. It was hard. The person that owned it uh, really kind of led through um, just uh, crushing his employees, making them feel afraid all the time or nervous all the time. So it was always walking on eggshells, wondering when he would get after you and kind of let you have it. And it was just it was just heavy lifting. And I can remember one time after um, just him really being on my case and uh, I explained what had happened, then he immediately jumped to something else to be on my case. He just wanted to be on my case. And uh, I got out of there and I found myself in a janitorial's closet. I opened it up, closed the door, me and the mops in there, and uh, just started weeping. I was broken. And I'm not usually a person that does that kind of thing. Not that that's wrong, but that's just not me. And I just, I was uncontrollably just crying and weeping because I, I couldn't take it anymore. And, uh, you know, and I'm talking to the Lord and I'm saying, why did you get us to this place? Uh, this, this is just not going well at all. And I felt like that future king, I wasn't calling him the future king, but that king, that Jesus really just wasn't wasn't taking care of me and uh, I was just just broken so so what do you do what do you do when the bottom of life falls out when it seems like God isn't stepping in and taking care of you and you are just heavily broken oh nothing seems to be going right and it's just it's just really hard well, as we start to talk about this future king, we begin with this story about Hannah. And uh, Hannah is a, is, a, is a broken person. And uh, she is just heavy with this desire to have a child. And it's so much the focus of her life. And we talked last week about uh, this time period, that that was uh, the major accomplishment of any women was to bear children and to bear sons and and all of this kind of stuff, and, and if that wasn't happening for you, there wasn't like another career or something else to do, that, that, was, that was just there. And uh, we see in Hannah's heart just a brokenness, that she just, she just wants that answer in her life. And uh, she's, she's leaning into that, and God, why don't you do this? Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to follow you, and, and why don't we have a child? And some of us have lived in that place ourselves. Uh, where it's just not happening. I, I know when Cindy and I were married, we enjoyed five years of being kidless. That was great years, wonderful years. And then for the next three, we wanted to have a baby. And uh, there was a miscarriage, and then finally we had twins, and, you know, the rest of the story, and then we had Mariah, and woo, you know, crazy stuff. But, uh, but uh, now Mariah's going, what is up with Mariah? She's, she's here, so sorry about that. But anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, we, but, but it was just, you know, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I really believe some of those times, not all of those times, uh, but I do think all of those times can be used 
to help us reorient, uh, help us recalibrate, to answer the question, uh, you know, who is our king? Because your king matters in life. The one that's the center of your core being, the one you're following, the one you're, and and for Hannah, you know, she was a, a good person doing the right things, but she's wrestling with this. I feel incomplete without a child. And, and, you know, and we see this in uh, verse uh, 10 of Samuel 1. He says, she was crushed in soul. Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. And my little story, again, about being in that janitor's closet was that place. And you get into that place and you just inconsolable. And you just pray and you feel crushed. And that causes us to pause or hopefully causes us to pause and try to figure out what's going on in our life. And for Hannah, we're going to see that it is a recalibration, a remembrance that God is to be the center of her life. And then we'll see what happens. But your king matters. And we can put all kinds of things, items, uh, expectations in that king spot. And for those of us who are Christ followers, it's real easy on the outside to say we're following Jesus, we're following God. But deep, if you pull back the layers, we find that there's something else in there in the center. And we're really kind of leaning into more of that being the answer of our life rather than the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves in there. And and leading into this story about Hannah and eventually Samuel, we see, we looked at this last week, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did right what did what was right in their own eyes. And if you look through the book of Judges, you see that this just creates all kinds of problems because they really didn't have someone that they were centering on. And we have to realize that, again, when it comes back to this king idea, whatever you seek for stability, satisfaction, and joy, that is your king. And there are times where we can drift in and out of that. All of a sudden, something in life, some goal, some hope, some dream, all of a sudden becomes more the passion and direction of our life than a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, who is our king? And for me, I have to do this periodically because it's always easy to let something else slide into that place. And I can even be going through some of the outside motions of being a Christ follower, doing nice things and trying to you know, keep my mouth shut at the right time and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it really isn't Christ-centered. It's just because I've become a, more of a cultural Christian. So those of us who have been Christians for a while, we have to ask ourselves, who really is the center? And when our life, the bottom of our life drops out, something big happens or something little happens, uh, we have to ask ourselves, where is my king in all of this? And Hannah's going to discover that God needs to be the center, needs to be her king. Now, when we talk about this future king, we think about Jesus uh, coming, and we're going to get close to Christmas soon, and, uh, you know, born in a manger, and, and you know, lives a life, and then gives his life, and we celebrate that at Easter, um, you know, and all that goes along with that. But there's also this future day that's coming. We see glimpses of this in the book of Revelation. And uh, we see the lamb will triumph over them. This is the lamb of God. This is Jesus. This is the perfect sacrifice because he is the Lord of lords, king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, 
and faithful followers. And it's the idea is that when you say yes to Christ, uh, that means that your eternity is secure. Someday when you go from this chapter of life to the next chapter of life, you will be with God forever. But this idea of him being the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the perfect uh, king. And so we have, to, we have to think about this. And uh, in Romans, early Romans, there's this wrestling about when we don't let him be the king of our lives. And we see in Romans 1.28, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And that concept to me, when applied to me as a believer, scares me. Because I never want to be a pl- at a place in my life where I've got the external pretty good, but the internal is not good. And I want to do my own thing. And God finally says, all right, Dave, do your own thing. See how that works for you. Uh, how does that work for you? And he quits bugging me. Quits speaking to my heart. And another way of saying that is I get calluses on my heart. So when he speaks to me, leads me, I'm not as sensitive to that. I don't want to be in that place. That, that verse haunts me because I know how easy it is. I know there are people with greater spiritual depth than I ever hope to have in my life that have tripped and faltered and sometimes never recovered because they got calluses on their heart. I talk often about growing up in a little town uh, north of Boston. It was, it was a uh, ocean town, so there was this beach, Cranes Beach, and a guy, Crane Toilets, gave this big beach to the town back, way back, and if you want to know all the details, talk to my father. But anyway, in this beach was a part of the culture of living in this town, and we would go to the beach all the time. You'd get a pass for, like, little money, and you had this special, the town people parked, like, over here, and the non-town people parked over there. They paid, like, 20 bucks to get in, and you paid, like, 20 bucks once for the whole summer. Anyway, so we would go to the beach, but in the beginning of the summer, we would get out and, you know, you wouldn't bring your shoes or whatever, and uh, from the parking lot to the boardwalk to get on the sand, you know, there was all these little pebbles, and you'd be like, ooh, 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 it was like you were dancing to get to the boardwalk, and then finally you'd get there, and then it was okay, but by the end of the summer, if you went to the beach enough, your calluses on the bottom of your feet would get so good that you'd just walk on those pebbles, you wouldn't even notice them. And that's what we're talking about here is that you and I can get so hard in our hearts when the Spirit speaks to us, we don't even feel those little pebbles bumping. So this is something to be aware. How do we keep our hearts soft before him? So when this whole thing is Jesus is our future, is the future king worldwide, what Revelation talks about, and we're in this time period waiting for his return, then you and I, as we're walking through this world, want to be in a place where our heart is sensitive. You know, some of us uh, get a little nervous about some of the things that are happening in our country and all this kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, we need this legislation, this thing we need to do. But if people were just better behaved, you wouldn't have to have all that legislation. If people were spirit-led, Jesus-led, you wouldn't have to have rules about don't do this, you've got to do this, because we would just do that. Certain industries would just disappear because there'd be no appetite for them. So it's really a heart thing, one heart at a time. And even if some of that legislation gets passed and you think, man, if this just happened, this didn't happen, but the hearts don't change, people are going to work their way around it. Well, what good is that? 
I think I said this, I don't know, I think I didn't say this last week, or maybe I did, in the community group, you know, it's, it's kind of selfish for us as Christians to want a Christian culture with all our neighbors, the people that live in our community, without having them have a heart change. Because if they don't have a heart change, then this chapter of life is over. They're not spending with God in eternity. They're not going to heaven, they're going to hell. Maybe that's a real place. So I don't want to just be comfortable in where I live because people behave the way I ha- think they ought to. They have values that I have that I think come from Scripture, come from God, just so I can feel good and feel comfortable. No, I, I want those changes because I want those changes to reflect a changed heart. And maybe if we got back to changing our hearts or letting God change our hearts and be sensitive to that, we would see that uh, the culture, the world would just start to change and we wouldn't have to have all these rules and everything because people just wouldn't act that way because that's not the way you walk or act if you're following Christ. When we get into all of this, I love what uh, uh, Paul says next, but if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your fingers at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you have done. So sometimes it's really nice to say, hey, what about them? And point to them and point to this person. And when we do that, it's kind of like so we don't have to look at our own lives. So we're looking at they're worse than me, so I guess I'm okay. Church world, we're famous for doing that. That's why some people outside church world just say uh, Christians are such hypocrites because we've done such a good job at, at kind of like staying behind the smoke that we're pushing out there rather than dealing with ourselves. This king thing is so important that if when we don't have this settled in our life, and I think there's a resettling, I think it's keeping it in the forefront of our hearts and our minds and our souls, that if, if we don't do that, eventually hopelessness and helplessness will always be found in seeking any other king than the flawless king of Jesus Christ. And when I was in that uh, closet, I was feeling helpless and hopeless. And uh, it wasn't a good place to feel. Hannah feels helpless and hopeless. And some of it was that she just couldn't get around why God wasn't blessing her life. And she also had that nemesis, uh, Elkinhan's other uh, wife that was having plenty of kids, and she had none. So one of the good things about being hopeless and helpless is this. It can often open the door to godly happiness you say what do you mean by that that sounds like you're just kind of playing semantics uh, word game trying to have the opposite of sour grapes trying to just be a positive thinker no i really believe when i start to feel hopeless and helpless it makes me stop and say as a christ follower what's misfiring in my life Because as a Christ follower, I should always have a godly happiness. 
Some might like to use the word joy. That, that should be a part of who I am. So if that joy, that happiness is missing, and I feel helpless and hopeless, I have to stop and slow down and say, what is going on? And hopefully what is going to happen is I'm going to see where my life is out of alignment with walking with God. And I can see that I've put something else in the king spot in my life. And that's the reason I feel hopeless and helpless. Because as a Christ follower, that should be more of a fleeting thing than a regular thing. Because you and I ought to have a godly happiness. We've talked about this before in these uncertain times. Uh, you know, your friends who don't know Christ ought to see a, a stability in our lives, a, a, a comfortability even in uncertain times because we have the help and the hope of Jesus Christ. What a great tool to point others to him. So when you and I feel hopeless and helpless, we need to stop and say, why do I feel this way? This is like a little uh, light going off on your dashboard. It's beeping and you say, something is up. As a Christian, yes, there'll be times where this enters into my thinking, but there's also this idea that I lean back into God and my helplessness, hopelessness feelings can dissipate, can get less. And here we come back to the story of Hannah and the hopelessness she was feeling. Verse 3 says, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. That means his whole family went up there. So these were regular God-fearing people. And they would go year after year after year. They would go and make these sacrifices. So they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I do think it reflected a heart that loved God and wanted to please God. And whenever they came to the sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Panana, Panini, I can never say that name, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, she gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And at first, this seems very nice. You know, everybody's lining up to get their portion of the sacrifice. There's uh, Panini with all her uh, kids. Here's one for you. Here's one for you. Here's one for you. Here's one for you. And then they go all through the line. And then there's Hannah, who's feeling disturbed by this. It just kind of points out the fact she doesn't have any kids. And Hannah, because I love you so much, here's two portions. Here's more than you can eat. So you can go take your plate with all your food and just kind of think about the fact that you don't have anyone's kids to share with. And so he with intentions were good, but uh, it wasn't going well in uh, her life with all of this going on. So whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Uh, her husband Elkanah would say, to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And really, he got even the question wrong. I think he intended, he should have said something like this. He should have, don't you know that you mean more to me than ten sons? Not the other way. Guys, we got to get these things right. In these moments, don't say stuff like that. You know, 
obviously I love you, you know, I, you know again, he's, and she just, just kind of like makes her feel even worse. Once when they had finished eating and drinking and Shiloh Hannah stood up, now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. This is the idea of being set apart. Even in the Newer Testament, Paul one time is set apart and takes the vow of a Nazarite. He has his head shaved and then goes through this vow time. But it's, it's just for a moment in time, a season of life. For, for Hannah's son, this would be his life. And uh, so she is just, she's just, just, just feeling just so heartbroken with all of this as she kept on praying to the lord eli observed her mouth hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard eli thought she was drunk and said to her how long are you going to stay drunk put away your wine can you imagine that i mean here she is just brokenhearted, and even her pastor doesn't kind of say the right thing boy these guys in her life are terrible but anyway um don't be that guy Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. Some say a worthless woman, which is interesting. That word would tie into her feeling about who she is because of not having any kids. I've been praying here out of my greatest anguish and grief. She just... The answer to her life, she's trying to work it through God. She's taking the right approach, but still, it seems like her answer, life will be complete once I have a child. Eli answers, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes, she said. Then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast go in peace this isn't just absence of conflict go in peace and it's a sanctity as a just being in a good place of wellness of the soul and the heart that's what he's saying to her and it's interesting she goes away uh, it's favor here um you know finding favor god shining upon him or her looking at him and just being taking pleasure with her. It's that word favor actually is tied to the word Hannah. Hannah actually means grace and favor. So it's interesting. She's saying, find favor because your name is found favor. Your name is grace. It's Hannah. And she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer uh, downcast. Again, the idea of going in peace, having a full life uh, with God's favor. And uh, some translations say, uh, now you can go home. You may go home now and stop worrying. That's the kind of peace we're talking about. Verse 18 in a different translation says it this way. May you be happy with me, Hannah says. Then she ate and her face was radiant. Interesting. Nothing has changed. Yes, she has a promise. Yes, she has some hope. But nothing's changed. She doesn't have a child yet. 
yet her faith is radiant. You see, when you and I do this recalibration, when we stop, we get before the Lord, we get in God's presence, even though the answer hasn't come, we find that God himself is the answer. Often in times in life, we say, if this would just happen, then things would be good. But God wants us to see that, yes, answers are part of your, your joy and happiness, yes, but it's really me. I am your answer. And I think in this moment, Hannah says, I'm relieved. God is my answer, whether this happens or not. I'm going to hold on to this promise, but God, you are my answer. So they move along their way and uh, walk and continue on and head back. Actually, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. And we read a little bit later, Elkahannah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. The word Samuel, the name Samuel, actually has the idea that God has heard me. I, for some reason, I've missed that over the years. So every time you hear the word, the name Samuel, it means God has heard. So if you have the name Sam or Samuel, that is a reminder that God has heard somebody and you are a product of that answered prayer, God hearing you. And that's a great reminder that God does hear us. Um, then later on, a uh, baby's born. And uh, Hannah does not want to go back up to the temple, not because she's delaying giving her son as she has promised, but she doesn't want to go up there because she needs to be weaned, still nursing. Probably that means two to three years old, and she waits on that. Her husband agrees that that's a good idea, and eventually he, she goes up there. I want to jump down to... Uh, I want to jump down to just the idea of feeling downcast, feeling that God is not uh, answering your prayers, that uh, the bottom has dropped out in life. And originally I had planned to have uh, Maya and um, Adam Sibley back with me because uh, they've had a rough road, if you're not familiar with their story. Uh, Adam had heart surgery, which was pretty uh, significant, uh, but it was done in a way that it didn't need to be the whole open heart surgery. Uh, things weren't going well. I'm not giving you the technical terms for them. So he had to go back in, he had an infection, and then the next time they had to open him all the way up, and uh, it, it was touch and go, it was touch and go. And I remember afterwards, or in that time, Adam uh, texting me and giving me a call, and we talked on the phone, and, and, and he, he asked, he said, you know, am, am I, I'm not coming through this the way, you know, I expected. Uh, is this because God's upset with me? And I said, Adam, God is not upset with you. This is, you live in a day and age where they can even address this. If you lived 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, they wouldn't have been able to do any of this. So don't feel that way. That's a natural, uh, natural feeling to have, that when bad things seem to be happening in your life, is it because, uh, you know, God's upset with me? And uh, you, you don't need to live in that place. 
And then it took a lot more time for him to get out of the hospital and heal up. The, it, just, it just didn't go well. And even uh, just uh, over this last few days, he got news that uh, he can go back to work. But then today, he's got a fever of 102, and that's why he can't be here today. So it's really easy to live in that area of feeling, wow, <laughs> my life is just, it's just, it's just on the edge. And that's where Hannah was, and that's where you and I can be. And so what, so what do we do with that? I think we need to ask ourselves where God is in the midst of it and lean in and grab not on the answer that we're hoping for, but grab on to him. And I could probably have many of you come up here and talk about those times where the bottom of life dropped completely out you didn't know what to do and and you were even a christ follower and you're just like i just don't know what to do i feel like god let me down but then in the mix of that you recalibrated your life and maybe all the pieces didn't come together instantly or they did come together eventually or maybe they haven't still come together maybe they're they're not coming together but you reoriented and you found that god when he's in the center that it gives a calmness and a peace even when the storm is raging outside your life. Even when the storm doesn't seem to dissipate, he gives you a peace and he calms the storm in your life, in your heart. Let's see, I want to go down to right here. The hopeless and helpless places in life are opportunities for God's presence to carry you into the sustaining, happy place the happy places in god's presence and again at first glance these may seem like really nice positive thinking words but you've experienced that adam and maya would experience say they were experiencing that that these opportunities these moments of feeling helpless and hopeless are moments to let god's presence carry you into that sustaining happy place walking with him because you find all these other things low wonderful are not are not permanent are not forever so what do you do real quickly is you don't run from a hopeless and helpless place that doesn't mean you don't uh, try to make things better but you realize that it's a bigger thing than the hopelessness and the helplessness that you're experiencing in second corinthians you read paul experiences to keep me grounded and stop me from becoming too high and mighty do uh, mighty and mighty do uh, due to god's presence but the lord said my grace is all you need only when you are weak can everything be done completely by my power so i will gladly boast about my weakness then christ's power can stay in me and so Paul saw that his hopelessness, his helpless place, this, this thorn in the flesh uh, you can read about was really designed to bring him into God's presence, to cause him to be more dependent on God. And he accepted that. He embraced that. He realized that God's grace, God's favor uh, would do that. Also, don't give up on a God on God. He will never give up on you. Sometimes in those moments, we want to give up on God. It's interesting that Hannah had that radiant face. Her face was no longer downcast before the answer came. It was because she was in God's presence. 
And not all stories like Hannah's end up with expecting a baby. Uh, we know stories about that where it's just, it's just not working. So, so don't look at Hannah's story and say, oh, this means if I get right with God and I pray a really good prayer that sometime in the future I'll finally have my answer and, and I'll be expecting a little one. Or maybe it's something else we want. Don't take that away from that. That is possible. But we see that God's presence is what sustains, is what is grace. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, that's peace, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I think that's the story of Hannah. Adam and Maya are living that story even now, even this morning. And we're probably watching this morning as they're living that. They, when, when Christ displaces the worry at the center of your life. Never don't believe that God has allowed barrenness into your life to punish you. I talked about that just a few moments ago with Adam calling me and wanting to talk about whether this is some kind of mishap because of something he had done. And again, all of us, as I explained to him, all of us will go there sometime when things are not going well in our life. Rather, let your joy be, let joy be your continual feast. Be cheerful no matter what. Make your life a prayer. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you to belong to Christ Jesus to live. It's easy to say, but sometimes we take too much stock on what's going around us in this chapter of life. We need to think of the next chapter of life. That is the promise. That is where we will see the future king set up his kingdom perfectly. And we'll be able to experience that firsthand. Also, anticipate God blowing your mind when he comes through, not just with the answer, but with himself. When you think of the things you've gone through, it's himself. Every once in a while, I tell a story when Cindy and I were first married that year, and we didn't have enough funds to, to make it every month. But we did have some gift money that was given to us when we got married. And every month we'd have to dip into it $100. And I was watching it go down every time. We would do whatever we could do to save money. And then I can remember just really praying about it. And Cindy and I, this was our first like hiccup in our married life. And we're, we're praying together about God relieving this financial stress. And again, it all eventually worked out. We eventually found a cheaper rent and we'll put the pieces together. But, but in that moment, really what we found was Jesus was the answer to our marriage, not these other circumstances. He was the answer, not the answer. And so don't be surprised when this happens. So what are we to do? We're to seek God while he's here to be found. Pray to him while he's close at hand. Let him come back to, let them come back to God who is merciful. Come back to God who is lavish with forgiveness. And the idea is that again, we should be coming back to him. We should have this idea that that when we're 
feeling the bottom of life, when we feel hopelessness and helplessness, it's all to recalibrate to see that he is our king, our future king, our flawless king. Said it this way, when God is happy with you, when, when God has found favor with you, and you say, what does that mean? Any of us who have said yes to Christ, God has found favor. We haven't had to earn it, but when God has found favor with you, when you have that relationship with him, when Hannah, the word grace, is yours, you can be happy. I can be happy. When I know God has found favor and is happy with me through what Christ has done, through the forgiveness that comes through him, then I can be happy. Then I can be happy. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Hannah. And it seems like just an individual little story. But it's an important story in how you use her life experience to speak to us almost over 3,000 years later. Uh, her story is our story, different place, different time, but same kind of heart things that we face. Lord, I would ask that when we get into those broken places, when we feel helpless and hopeless, it would help us to stop and pause and realize that we have you and we can have that peace that transcends all understanding and we can be in that happy place, if you will, because of you in our lives. Help us to stop and say, who is the king of my life? Where, who is the answer to my life? Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not said yes to you, has not placed their trust in you, has not experienced that ultimate forgiveness, I ask that this would be the day that they do that and they would celebrate knowing you through Christ. Again, we thank you that we can be here together and even now as we're thinking about life and thinking about what's going on, we do pray for Adam and we pray that uh, as he goes to see the doctor or blood test today, that they'd be able to give him some more answers. So we thank you that he and Maya are looking to you to be the answer of their lives while you produce answers for their lives. We ask all of